Please turn in your Bibles to the Scripture reading, Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. The sermon text will be from 1 Peter, but the Scripture reading is from Psalm 199, excuse me, 119, verses 1 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my, may, my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Please turn now to the sermon text in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to chapter 2 and verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 22 to chapter 2 and verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, Long for the spirit, pure spiritual milk, 
that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. O Lord our God, how we love it. We ask, O Lord, that by that self-same spirit by which you inspired this word, you would also illumine our minds to understand it. And we pray these things for your glory and for our own good. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We're going to be focusing, brothers and sisters, on three points in this passage of 1 Peter today. In the first section called Purified by the Truth, we will explore the effect that God's Word has on the regenerated human heart. In the second part, called Loving One Another, we will consider Peter's Word about our delight, our duty to delight in the saints, who are described in the scriptures as the excellent in all the earth. And lastly, we will examine in the final section called Imperishable Seed, Imperishable People, what the Apostle has to say about the undying nature of the seed that is God's word and those begotten by it. So part one, purified by the truth. Part two, loving one another. And part three, imperishable seed, imperishable people. So purified by the truth. This first part will focus on Peter's assertion in verse 22 that Christians have had their souls purified by obedience to the truth. Peter is referring chiefly to when we first believed the gospel. And he speaks in this way because there there is throughout the scriptures a connection between purity and believing encounters with God's word. There is in the scripture a direct connection between purity and the truth. Between sanctification and the belief in God's word. As our Lord said in the Gospel of John, chapter 17 and verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. In that place, Jesus appeals to the Father to sanctify, that is to make holy, to consecrate to his own purposes and pleasure the disciples whom Jesus was commending to him. The word of God, therefore, sanctifies. It makes holy. Here, again, in 1 Peter 1.22, the apostle is saying that truth purifies souls. As the following verses make plain, the truth Peter refers to is the same that our our Lord referred to in John 17. It's the word of God. But even if a person reads the word of God. Will that be enough? Is simply reading the Bible going to purify anyone 
and everyone who reads it. Recall here with me Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11. How can we keep our way pure? Those who have spirit-worked faith keep their way pure by guarding it according to the word of God. Recall how the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, identifies the word of God throughout that section of that psalm with God's commandments and his statutes. Putting the commandments of God, which are reflections of his holy character, regularly before our eyes, will provide us with an exemplar, so that by its constant presence, it will begin to have a transforming influence. To use a trite example, it's like how a person will begin to emulate and speak like the television characters they regularly watch. Or perhaps more down to earth, it's like how spouses, by constant exposure to one another, will naturally tend to take on one another's attitudes, expressions, mannerisms. Setting God's law continually before the eyes of a regenerate heart will have a similar effect. God's law is an external standard to guide us, to show us a pure way. But recall what was said in verse 11 of that psalm. The believer begins to think good what the Lord calls good, and evil what the Lord calls evil. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, he said. Putting God's word into our hearts represses and opposes sin if the spirit is present in that heart. Memorizing God's word then puts a roommate in the believer's heart that will help keep his sin in check, that unwelcome visitor. It will give your inner man weapons with which to overawe and beat back the promptings of your outer man. The patterns of this present evil age that try daily to take root in your thoughts and affections. There the psalmist told us that loading up our hearts with God's word will have an effect. By the Holy Spirit, reading and memorizing the word will serve as both outer and inner bulwarks, that is, outer and inner defensive walls against future impurity and sin. Setting God's word continually before you and putting God's word deeply within you, these things work together to shore up your defenses against temptations to sin. <clears throat> A prince who is able to will provide his castle, as it were, with several walls between himself and his enemies. He will erect a second curtain of stone if he can to protect what's precious to him. If your purity and integrity before the Lord are precious to you, you will erect as many defenses against temptation that you can. You will also not only avoid the sins themselves, brothers and sisters, but all temptations to sin. You will flee not only the fall, but what in the past has first led you first to stumble and then to fall. 
As John Owen put it, he who dares to dally with occasions of sin will also dare to sin. He who dares to dally with occasions of sin will also dare to sin. He explains this elsewhere in this way. There is a folly that possesses many. They are sensible of their sins, but not of their temptations. That is, they are displeased with the bitter fruit, but continue to cherish the poisonous root. Hence, while in the midst of their sorrow over their sin, they nevertheless still continue in those ways and those circles and activities which have occasioned that sin. Flee, therefore, not only the sin, brothers and sisters, but the occasions of it. All those situations that have in the past given rise to it. If certain company leads you to sin, avoid that company. As Paul says, be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Be wise about how your enemies have advanced on you in the past and secure those pathways against further attacks. And regard the meditation upon God's commandments and the storing up of God's word in your heart as your first and second lines of defense against your enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Read your Bible, therefore, and attend upon its preaching and its teaching. Make a diligent use, brothers and sisters, of all the means of grace, and commit the counsels and the commands of his word to memory. Store them up in your hearts, that you too, like the psalmist, might not sin against him. And that you might continue to purify your hearts by obedience to the truth. Moving on to part two, loving one another. This purification of soul has a purpose, a kingdom purpose, and not just a personal one. A heart purified by the word of God has had the door opened to it for true and sincere kingdom fellowship. Only those whose hearts have been purified by the truth are able to do anything with the exhortations of chapter 2 and verse 1. And so to enjoy lasting, warm, genuine fellowship. Only those with sanctified hearts, brothers and sisters, can heed these charges to put away malice slander, hypocrisy, and envy, which obstruct the kind of fellowship and relationship that characterize God's kingdom. Note how in verse 23, we can do these things. We can love one another because we've been born again. Being born again not only redirects our focus outward from self to Christ, but being a born again takes us out of one family and places us into another family. Being born again, we find ourselves in a new family, a family of other redeemed souls, whom the Lord has begotten after his own kind and likeness in Christ. 
We who are born again have been plucked from the broken, dysfunctional family of fallen Adam, from that brood of vipers made up of the seed of the serpent. And we have been adopted into a new, loving family with a new parent and new siblings too. Because we've been born again by the word, working with the spirit, and sanctified by the word, working with the spirit, we are able to love our brothers and sisters, and we must do so. If we do not sincerely love the brethren, we are probably not really in God's family. We would not be bearing the stamp of his family's, this family's father if we don't love the brethren as he does. As John puts it in his first epistle, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love the brother, no, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. We cannot truly love God if we do not truly love his children, if we do not love what he loves. We cannot love God if we do not love his own image and likeness sitting in the pews around us. Loving the brother you can see. That sounds like loving the visible church to me. The visible church with all of its flaws. Now I alluded to the seed of the serpent a minute ago. And recall with me now Genesis 3. In that place in Genesis we are told that God put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Enmity for hostility toward the seed of the woman. That is, enmity toward Christ and those who are in him. This characterizes the seed of the serpent. The brethren, that is the seed of the woman, are characterized by love for one another. Hostility to the brethren is not what characterizes God's sons, but the sons of the serpent. And this enmity is an old one. It is what prompted Cain to be envious of God's grace toward Abel. And this enmity occasioned the first murder in this world. And the seed of the, serp the serpent still to this day hate the brothers of Jesus Christ. It is their sure mark of identification. At Galatians chapter 4, Verses 28 and 29, we find Paul saying the following. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So also it is now. Let us not now or ever fall prey to the temptation to mimic the seed of the serpent by having contempt for all or any of the children of promise. Let us strive mightily to shut our ears to ugly rumors and secure our minds against uncharitable thoughts or remarks about one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is the kind of fraternal affection and, if you will, unit cohesion an army thrives on. Because we are not solitary heroes in this host, but we march as part of a regiment. We sojourn, we fight as a group. As if we made up the, the ranks of a Greek phalanx formation. That is, a tightly packed closely knit formation of armored infantry that when standing together presents its enemy with a wall of shields and a porcupine-like array of spears. But if one hoplite, if one soldier, one infantryman gets discouraged or feels persecuted by his brothers and falls out of the ranks, if he departs the safety of the phalanx and its overlapping shields, he not only makes himself vulnerable to the enemy's darts, he also compromises the integrity and so the security of the entire formation. Let us resolve now, then, brothers, in love to cover one another. Love, the scripture tells us, covers a multitude of sins. That is, our love for each other will smooth over the rough edges and cover the frailties that we will see in one another. And love will forgive all of those trespasses we will commit against one another too. We mustn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Since we all have feet of clay, we can expect the brothers around us to stumble here and there, on occasion, just like we do. If you find your brother not so lovable, decide to love him anyway. This might be easier to do when you understand that you're not really so lovable either. Deciding to love the unlovely will also help you understand what it's like for the Lord to love you. He did not set his love on you in eternity because you were especially lovable either. This is my commandment to you, says the Lord in John's gospel, that you love one another as I have loved you. Since Jesus loves the unlovely, you will have to do it too. And you're far more grievous to God, our holy God, in your ways, words, and works, then your brother is to you. You can be certain of that. And don't think too much either on their unloveliness and your bigness of heart for being willing to love a brother in spite of himself. Rather, note the beam in your own eye. Appreciate your own unloveliness and marvel that you are loved in spite of yourself. Brothers and sisters, you may pick your friends, 
But the Lord alone picks the members of this family. Loving the brethren in the visible church is kind of like loving your children. You're not looking for a perfection before you love. Rather, you are perceiving a relation that you love. You're not looking for perfection before you love your children. You're perceiving a relation that you love. So let us then obey Peter's spiritual charge to spiritual men and women as deep calls to deep. And yes, this includes husband and wives within the visible church and their relationship. Let us resolve to put aside slander and malice and envy like those who are truly born again into a new family whose members have been called and commanded truly to love one another. This too, this covenant fellowship, you will find is to taste the goodness of the Lord. Let us now move on to the third and final part of today's uh, sermon. Imperishable seed, imperishable people. The quotation Peter employs here in verses 24 and 25 from Isaiah 40 about the grass that withers and the flower that falls, this language is familiar to all of us. We often incorporate this language into our prayers and into our services of worship. But let's look at why Peter uses this quote here in this particular place. I think it is more than simply an effort to praise some of the attributes of the Word of God. This quotation from Isaiah follows new birth language in verse 123. The particle that introduces the quotation for in the ESV, that lets us know that the quotation from Isaiah serves as a reason, a cause for what Peter just said about our rebirth. What Peter is getting at is a contrast between withering flesh and the abiding word and between those born of perishable seed and those born of imperishable seed. We, having been reborn by this imperishable seed, this word, are therefore not like the grass, nor even like its sole boast, the flower, which too will fall. For it too comes from perishable seed. If withering grass is the product of perishable seed, then we who are born of imperishable seed are imperishable. The grass here born of perishable seed stands for the flesh, that is for human beings born only in a natural way. Born of the flesh, but not of the spirit. These are children of a day, whose portion is in this life only. They will wither away. We are not like the grass that withers or the flower that falls. We have been born again by a seed planted within us that is both living and abiding. Being begotten by this living and abiding word, you, unlike flesh that withers and flowers that fall, you who are unlike 
those born of perishable seed will likewise live on. You too will abide. And you, like a tree planted by a stream, will bear fruit unto the Lord's pleasure in your season. Now let us shift gears for a moment to consider something of great importance. I have urged a great many things upon you this morning from our text. I have called you to forward movement from this text this morning. I have called you to forward movement in your purity of soul by directing you to further obedience to the truth. I have urged you to spend more time in God's word, to commit it to memory, so that you might shore up your defenses against temptations to sin and against occasions of sin. I've taken from this text the charge that you must love one another. Now these are a lot of heavy and difficult imperatives, commandments, and they're just very hard to perform. Loving the brethren is not always easy. Neither is memorizing scripture and putting away malice and slander and envy. Yet more imperatives from the apostle. Where, however, have I provided you with any indicatives, with the good news? To ground all these imperatives, to warrant all this law. There's a little word in the ESV in our passage today that tells it all. It's in the middle of our text and it serves to provide the reason for all that the apostle has commanded you in Christ today. That little word is sense at the beginning of verse 23 in the ESV. It is because you have been born again, not by the will of man, but by the Holy Spirit working with the word of the Lord. Your rebirth was your exodus. Your exodus from bondage, as it were, in Egypt, from the taskmasters of sin and the Pharaoh of Satan. Once God delivered his Old Testament people from bondage, he reminds them of the indicative of this deliverance and only then lays upon them the imperatives of his commandments, as we saw in Exodus 20. This is the biblical pattern of the one covenant of grace spanning both Old and New Testaments. For every command given by the apostles to the churches, there is a gospel grounding for those commands somewhere nearby, perhaps lurking in the background. Often, as a church works through a book of the Bible together, they will cover a passage that only has commands in it. In such a case as that, the good news of our gracious salvation in Christ is sure to be found nearby. Perhaps in the previous week's text, perhaps in the next week's text, at least implicitly. At other times, only the good news of our gracious salvation is to be found in a passage under examination on a given Sunday. In such a case as that, you can be sure that somewhere just over that text's horizon, there's a charge, a command, to strive after holiness and obedience for our gracious deliverance, our redemption. The one always implies the other. 
in Christianity, in the Bible. Justification always demands sanctification. And true sanctification requires justification. Both come from our union with Christ. So you can't have Christ unless you have both. As John Murray put it, law without grace is powerless. Grace without law is meaningless. Law without grace is powerless. Grace without law is meaningless. But let not your stumblings lead you to conclude, brothers and sisters, that you must not have justification because of the remaining presence of sin in your life. Read the 7th chapter of Romans and understand that you are in good company. If though you fight, you often falter. Just keep fighting, keep praying, and like Paul reveals in that place, keep going to Christ for your sanctification as much as you did for your justification. And remember that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for those of you who are not yet united to Christ by faith, I urge you to receive and to embrace the seed of the word, the testimony in the scriptures concerning Jesus Christ, who was sent into the world to save sinners like you and to reconcile them to God. If you do repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, then according to Peter, the seed that cleanses your heart will also give you eternal life and an unfeigned love of his people. Because as his kingdom, kingdom is only made up of living beings, so too his, his kingdom is only made up of loving beings. While your living brings you into the kingdom, it is your loving that shows that you truly belong in his kingdom. Therefore, beloved, writes the apostle John, in his first epistle. Let us love one another, for whoever loves has been born of God. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, our glorious God and King, we thank you and praise you for this word. We ask, O Lord, that you would equip us and strengthen us by your Spirit to carry it out. Help us to love one another. Help us to treasure up and store up your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Help us to pursue that purity that is, that is proper unto those who have been born again unto a living hope. Those who have become imperishable by the implanting of that imperishable seed in our hearts. Help us, O Lord, to go forth in newness of life to glorify you this day, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen.